remember going to my home on a Friday evening and locking my door, not opening it till a Monday morning, and feeling despair, hopelessness, feeling of oh my god, I just wasted a lot of my time here. Welcome to Backstage with Millionaires, the show where we bring you the stories of real Indian startups told by the entrepreneurs that built them. I'm Caleb Friesen, and on the show today, how Arjun Vedya took his family's 150-year-old Ayurvedic practice and turned it into a nearly 150 crore rupee D2C brand called Dr. Vedya's. The term Ayurveda is a compound word, Ayus, which means life or longevity, and Veda, which means knowledge. In other words, Ayurveda at its core is knowledge of life or knowledge of longevity. And this knowledge has been passed down for literally thousands of years. My guest today, Arjun Vedya, comes from a long lineage of Ayurveda practitioners. In fact, his family name, Vedya, originates from his great, 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 great grandfather, a man named Hakim Chand Ved. Hakim Chand was a traveling practitioner of Ayurveda back in 18th and in those days, Ayurveda was widely accepted and sought after in India. This, of course, was before modern medicine, before the discovery of vitamins and insulin and penicillin. But 150 years later, Indian society had changed quite a bit. The advent of the internet and the widespread popularity of hospitals, doctors, and contemporary medicine meant that Ayurveda, especially amongst millennials, had fallen a bit out of favor. But rather than seeing this as a reason to walk away from his family's Ayurveda practice, Arjun Vedya saw it as an opportunity. He graduated from Brown University in the United States in 2013. This was a really big year for him because straight out of college, he got a job working at L Capital, the private equity arm of LVMH, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. It was also an important year for him because in 2013, Arjun's grandfather, Dr. Nathubhai Vaidya, passed away. He'd been serving thousands of patients across the country and was also the last Ayurveda practitioner of the Vaidya family. And so Arjun quickly realized that if he didn't step in and pick up where his grandfather had left off, 2013 would mark the beginning of a gradual decline for the Vaidya family's practice of Ayurveda. Now, while all of this was going on, I was beginning my college experience in Canada. And while Vancouver is known for being a very multicultural city with a large Indian diaspora, my understanding of Ayurveda, what it meant and what it's for, was almost non-existent. In 2013, you're wrapping up your time at Brown University, Rhode Island, on the east coast of the United States. I am just starting my college experience in Vancouver on the west coast. And I think something that's really interesting is that the word Ayurveda, to me, I never associated that with India. I, I, it just... Oh, okay. Yeah, because like you hear about Ayurveda, you also hear about yoga growing up, right? It's this exercise, right? You're stretching, right? That's all I knew. Ayurveda, same thing. Oh, yeah, it's like that herbal medicine, right? Herbal sort medicine. of like placebo medicine. And I just, I just find that really interesting because there's so many companies that are making not just millions of dollars, but like billions of dollars in North America and yeah. probably more largely the Western world, most of those founders are not Indian, Absolutely. Right? Like, for example, uh, Chip Wilson, right? Like, yeah. I was in Vancouver at that time and, like, everyone's wearing Lululemon. And it's like this, this sort of athletic wear that you're specifically wearing for yoga. It's really stretchy. That guy's not Indian. I, I don't no, even know if he ever no. went to India, right? But he's taking this Indian idea 
which is like it's so much more than exercise, right? And Ayurveda is like knowledge of science life. Of life. It's it's yeah, the science of life exactly. It's not herbal medicine, right? I mean, it's so much more than that. And you were at Brown at that time. I, I'm curious to know, like, at that time in your life, did you was that an eye opening experience realizing that there were all these people in this part of the world that had no idea what Ayurveda even was? Look, I think uh, my time at Brown and my experience at Brown actually shaped the way I thought a lot. I left in India in 2009, um, where I hadn't been really exposed to spending time living outside of India. I've traveled the world, fortunate to go with my family on vacations and stuff like that. But it's different when you go for a two-week vacation and you stay in a place. And so I'd never stayed in a place in my life outside of India for more than two weeks and even in India, I don't think I'd ever stayed anywhere but Bombay for two weeks. And so I was very sheltered and and, and very um, uniform life, right? You see what's happening around you in Bombay. And then I came to the US at age 17 and a half in 2009. Um, and I saw things I'd never seen before. I saw this move towards natural organic products. I went to Whole Foods for the first time. I saw consumers paying top dollar to have clean produce. I saw yoga, I saw yoga mats, yoga gyms, yoga apparel, Lululemon. I saw my Dutch friend teaching us yoga. I started thinking to myself, like, I'm a very patriotic Indian. I wear this band with the Indian flag on my hand. I've been wearing it every day. I started thinking to myself, like, why is this the case that it's Indian, but we didn't do anything with it? And then they took it and they repackaged it and they're selling it back to us. If it's already happened with yoga, we have to ensure it doesn't happen with Ayurveda. Why have they been so successful, but not under Indian founders, right? Why is it that you have these people like, for example, Chip Wilson, kind of taking these concepts, bringing them to the West, and then making billions of dollars instead of like an Indian company yeah. going global? And like, for example, Patanjali is huge here, right? Why yeah. were they not able to export uh, Ayurveda to the rest of the world? We didn't realize that this ancient, traditional form of life or form of living life had to be repackaged into yoga mats and yoga gyms and yoga music and Lululemon. And so that's what I set off to do with Ayurveda. And my dream was, if you ever see the old packaging of Dr. Vedas, it says proudly Indian on the front and center of the packaging. You know, it was really important for me as well because I wanted to take Ayurveda global. Um, and I wanted to see that mark of India on shelves across the globe. But eventually India is such a big market, we got caught up in the growth of India and we never had time to look elsewhere but but i think um i think you got to think modern you got to think new and you got to think out of the box yeah so me being married to an indian and eventually having kids that are going to be sort of they're going to think of themselves as indian yeah. even though they'd be like indo canadian i really want to see indian brands go global so that's one of the reasons why i'm bringing this up because at the moment if you go outside of India as an Indian, the only brands that you're really going to see are maybe like Land Rover or Jaguar. And those are not even made in India. It's yeah, sort of like yeah, I wouldn't call them acquired by, acquired by Tata. Yeah, Yeah. look, I think um, we are now at that cusp or that inflection point where Indian brands, will, Indian brands will go global. And I won't include yoga, Ayurveda and tea and Indian food in that because... There we have a core competency that's better than everybody else. So obviously it would make sense that an Indian company is doing it. In the early 2000s, um, I used to go to stores where you would get only imported products because it was considered 
imported was good and was considered indian or substandard that doesn't exist anymore those stores don't exist anymore right and so with this with new age brands with startups with new founders with global aspirations with real ambition we will see indian brands go global and i think that's the next decade ahead of us and that's what i'm going to watch out for yeah and i feel like you you kind of had this on your mind back in 2016 right you're kind of thinking how can i take ayurveda which is something that my family has been doing for like 150 years and how can i make it accessible to say millennials or like the younger generation of indians but also potentially framing it in such a way that it's actually adoptable by people outside of india too absolutely so you had herbal life was one of the first products that you guys launched herbal with herbal fit yeah herbal fit yeah. you also had live it up which was sort of like a hangover, hangover shield yeah. or a hangover cure um and so i want to take you back to those early days yeah. i remember there's this there's this instagram post we'll put it on the screen january 2016 you announce you're moving back to india you're quitting your job um with l capital asia yeah there was a photo of me and my grandfather yeah exactly your grandfather so so he had passed away in 2013 yeah. and it was in 2016 that you i had the guts to quit this uh high paying private very, job very high paying i think you were making it at your peak like 2.5 lakh a month, a month or something yeah. right at Amazing. 24 in india that was like a big deal oh my gosh yeah so how how well set up were you to actually become an entrepreneur for the first time in your life. Did you have like how much runway did you have? You had probably presumably savings from your time at L Capital yeah. Asia and did you yeah, have like, was to- family support? Totally unprepared. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I didn't know FMCG, I didn't know distribution, I didn't know consumer products, but I had a lot of family support. So my grandfather left behind some capital in the company which was about $400,000. That's what I ran the business with to start off, which was Pretty much, it felt like at that time infinite runway. Today, people talk about millions of dollars as if it's just normal, but we used to talk in crores at that time, right? And four crore rupees was a lot of money at that time. All right, so I just wanted to take a quick break here to tell you guys about this podcast sponsor, OctaFX, one of India's leading forex trading apps. And most of us, when we start out with trading, right, we're pretty new. We have little to no experience, and so there's this huge learning curve. And that's actually why OctaFX is now focusing so much on education. They've got tons of tools and tutorials specifically intended for people who have never done forex trading before. And you can even set up a demo account to get some practice before trading real money because let's be honest, right? It's a risk. But that's why OctaFX has live webinars and a video course to teach you how to make calculated strategic risks where you're well educated on trading strategies and core concepts like liquidity, volatility, currency pairs, pips and points, margin calls, leverage. I mean, there is so much to learn here and OctaFX has got you covered. Their app is available on both iOS and Android. It's open 24/7 and you can trade anytime you want, which means that you get more trading time than with an average stockbroker. And also, if you're into crypto, they also offer fast deposits with cryptocurrencies too. So if you want to start learning about forex trading for free, then you can click on the link in the description down below to set up a demo account and start practicing. And once you're ready to start trading real money, you can use my promo code back stage 100 to double your first deposit into OctaFX and the recommended starting deposit amount is 3000 rupees. All right, now let's get back to my conversation with Arjun Vedya. It was the factory was any part of your grandfather's I don't want, I won't say business but his practice was it operational when you picked things up in uh Yeah, which the factory was operational at a very very low capacity. Okay. Because there were few patients would still come into the clinic and buy the medicine. Um and there were few of his old timers who were still there. 
um, his nurse, our factory manager, and a few folks who worked in the factory. But that was it pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and then you jump in, decide to launch these two new product lines. Very exciting, by the way. I mean, it was a it was a proper launch. Absolutely. Um, there was lots of, like, you were on stage presenting these things, and there was a lot of people in the room. Yeah. And I think you probably expected things were going to go pretty well from there, right? Yeah. So there's a big launch event, Taj Lands End Hotel, which happens to be the place I also got married. I had one of my wedding functions. This was well before my wedding. Um, and everything was great. There were 300 people at this launch event. I was speaking on stage. I was sharing the vision. Journalists were there. Newspapers covered it. It was really like a big deal for me. And then uh, we signed on six distributors. We did 10 lakhs worth of billing in the market. Um, and I thought everything was great. It was a much better start than I expected. And the private equity analyst in me goes 10 lakhs, 20 lakhs, 50 lakhs, 1 crore, 5 crores. We're just like on fire from here. And then reality hit, right? Um, I realized I'd build to distributors. Distributors had to build to retailers. Retailers had to build to end consumers. Only once that happened would I get paid. And no end consumers bought my products. Nobody knew about my product. Nobody knew about my brand. I was up against brands like Patanshi, Dabar, Imami, Vedinath, Zandu, Himalaya. And all of these brands had a lot of foothold on the market. And so when no consumers bought my product, no retailers paid the distributors, no distributors paid me. When I went three to three to four months later into the market to collect my cash, I got only 10% of the cash and 90% of my products as returns. And that meant that for three, four months, I was working on pretty much zero revenue, right? And had a 22-person sales team in Bombay um, and nothing was working. And I was absolutely shocked when we got these returns. I was in denial. I begged the distributor to keep it for a little bit longer because I didn't want to accept that this was happening to me. Um, but then I got the product back and reality set in. I remember going to my home on a Friday evening and locking my door and not opening it till a Monday morning um, and feeling despair, hopelessness, feeling of, oh my God, I just wasted a lot of my time here. And is it really worth it? Am I going to be able to do it? How will I make it happen? That time, I spoke to my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and she was in the early team at Nike and she had seen e-commerce. And she told me, look, offline isn't working because you're up against really large competition, but nobody's doing it online. Why don't you think about going online? And I was like, it's not a bad idea, actually. And so I convinced her didn't take much convincing, but I convinced her to join the business. We got engaged in sort of early 2017. And by mid-2017, she quit her job and she joined the business. Um, and that's when the new leg of business started. Was she able to take some of the learnings that she had gained at Nika yeah, to apply? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. She worked at Nika. She had seen a company scale from 100 orders to 10,000 orders a day. Um, and we were at zero. So um, I think... From a scale-up perspective, from thinking about marketing, technicals of website, um, delivery, logistics, customer service, I think all of those skills, she had a big head start on that eventually generated a lot of value for us. Yeah. But I'm sure at that time, right, things didn't work out with the offline approach. I would imagine that there were already a lot of people who were doubting your ability to even grow this brand in the first place, offline or online, and then it fails. Did you have people who were like, listen, just cut your losses, 
give up on this thing and actually go back and get an- another job? I would say ignorance is bliss. Even if people said at that time, I was like, no, no, I'm going to make this happen. Had I been in that situation today, I may have reacted differently. But at that time, I was like, keep chugging along, see what's going to happen. It was on a momentary basis, on a daily basis. It sucked, right? Like I was really unhappy at times and nothing was working and stuff like that. But in the long term, I think I was, I had a purpose, a mission to take forward my grandfather's legacy, to take forward my family's name. And so from that perspective, I think, um, you know, I sit in my office and my great-grandfather's chair was next to mine. And every time I was like, it's not happening. I would just look at his chair and be like, there is a much larger purpose. My last name is in this company's name. I've got to push to make it happen. Just push, 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 push. Yeah. It's you, Trisha. Was that sales team, that 20-plus person sales team? You laid them all off. You laid them all off. So it was, it was just the two of you? Or no, there... no, we had a team. You had a small team. We had a small team of finance folks. We had a team in the factory. We had a couple of folks in marketing. Yeah. Um, a couple of people in the warehouse. And how are you doing for runway? Like that money that your grandfather had left? I think we were on a slow burn. So yeah. we had half of it left. Uh, but that half of it left would become completely irrelevant if we weren't able to do something with it to make the business either self-sustainable or exciting for investors. And so there was a lot of pressure. Yeah, this is a do or die moment. Yeah. It's 2017. What I mean, what are the first steps? You've got a small team of people. You've got Trisha with these insights from Nika. You've got yourself, you know, sort of a big vision guy and you have experience in, in private equity, right? What do you actually, what are the first steps that you need to take to Cracking make this Cracking one channel. So we were like, okay, we've got to crack one channel because we're a small team. We can't do everything, right? And so what's that one channel we chose? We chose our website. And so we said, hey, for the next six months, we're just going to work on making this work. We learned how to build a website. We learned Google ads, Facebook ads. We learned operations, logistics, speaking to customers, delivering on time, all of these things. And with all of that, I think things, things started to click. And were people finding the website just through word of mouth or were you doing some sort of like... A bit of both. We did um, targeted there was a lot of word of mouth, organic, blogs, social media content, performance marketing, and then customers talking to customers. Towards the end of the year, what did you accomplish? I mean, you guys had worked really hard to on... like, I think, 10 orders a day on our website. Yeah. Seven, eight orders a day. That's That's where we got to. But I would say the journey with the website actually kicked off officially on... In November 2017. And so we had just started the process by end of 2017. I think the growth came in 2018. Got it. Okay. 10 orders per day. Maybe and, even less. And you're working like nonstop pretty much. You know, that's an interesting thing about being a consumer brand founder. Whether you do one order, 10 orders, 100 orders, 1,000 orders, or 10,000 orders a day, everyone still puts in those 14, 15 hours. And so I have a principle respect founders regardless of their size because each of them is putting 15 hours in. Wow. Yeah. And you, I mean, you had mentioned that you would look over at your grandfather's chair. That was a source of inspiration. Absolutely. I'm sure Trisha was also kind of encouraging you to keep going. Were there any other sources of inspiration or, you know, when things got difficult where you would look and say, okay, well, he was successful or she was successful. Therefore, I can also be successful in this sort of very nascent D to C space? Sure. I think actually looking at other people gave me anxiety. Uh, so it wasn't looking at other people. It was more like your cheerleaders in the tough times. Um, so people I wasn't so close to who would organically talk about my business and my brand, um, then my family, especially my dad, to be sort of supporters, mirrors, guiding lights in those times. I think that's what kept us going because it's a very lonely journey. 
whether you're doing well or you're doing badly it's very lonely when you're doing badly nobody wants to talk to you when you're doing well everybody wants to talk to you but you're thinking are they talking to me for the right reason right and so i think in in that frame of mind to have the right people to be there for you and support you is very important yeah for sure so it's the end of 2017 and you're literally having your wedding what's it called the wedding puja yeah it's like a wedding card riding ceremony in gujarati we call it kankotri kankotri okay like lagan lakhwan was what we call in gujarati writing the wedding cards basically okay and you're in this very important sacred moment you your wife probably Actually, my wife wasn't even there this is because oh. you write cards to their side of the family so it was just just us got it just my side of the family at that time but a lot of guests there as well right a lot of guests about 30 40 guests all of our close family was there yeah and suddenly you start getting calls yeah that was a very weird moment i got like four calls from my fact- factory manager and so i knew something was wrong so i picked up a call and he said hey by the way we've lost electricity in the factory so we won't be able to function for the next i don't know how many days and i was like oh my god what can i do about it and i was ready to get up and then everyone was like no you can't get up like we can't have this without you it's like uh, by the way what happened yesterday to me um i was on a call uh, as i was getting on to my flight um and i have a backpack and a cabin bag and i just left my cabin bag where i was sitting and walked onto the plane and then as i'm trying to put my cabin bag on the overhead compartment i realize i don't have my cabin bag and i'm standing outside the plane telling the guy hey i left my cabin bag right there like can you get it and he's like no i can't get it would you like to be offloaded and i was like no i don't want to be offloaded because i need to get to bangalore and he's like well i can't do anything for you and then i sort of begged and begged and begged and then eventually i said exactly where my bag was and i showed them a photo of my bag and they got it for me but it's a similar situation right you're there you're stranded you're in this position where you actually don't want to be there but you got to keep a brave face on and continue and yeah so i did the puja i took i was half day off work that day i finished the puja at 2 had my lunch and went back into the office and tried to firefight and that was normal and you guys got that pollution certificate and carried on Yeah eventually it took some time i think 5 7 days but yeah stuff yeah just one continuing normal life when you know your factory shut what do you do mm yeah that must have been really stressful yeah stressful so did you take a pause from the business at that point or <laughs> no at all we were absolutely absent during our wedding planning meetings completely um because we were focused on the business and so we said everyone else can um do whatever they want we trust you guys we'll organize the few things we wanted to so i wanted to ensure that all my friends from college came down so we had 75 people from outside of india come down for the wedding so i ensured the invites went to them i coordinated their rsvps their flights their hotel bookings um i cared a lot about fun so i ensured i took care of the bar and the dj uh but the rest was taken care of by the family because we just didn't have the bandwidth um i took one week off work for my wedding the week off my wedding that's pretty much it my wedding got done on a saturday night Sunday I went to play football like I usually do and Monday morning I was back at the office actually meeting the person who eventually led the investment in our company for the series A. Oh wow. Okay. Meeting, yeah. Yeah. At that point um I know you had started looking outside of tier 1, right? Outside of the metros of Correct. India. You said you achieved product market fit, right? Which is actually realizing that maybe our core customer base is not actually in the metros but instead yeah. in tier 2 and tier 3 cities. Yeah. And was that was that a was that a difficult or challenging journey for you to go through kind of accepting that maybe the products you are making 
you shouldn't be making them for your for yourself, but instead for. I think it wasn't difficult to accept. I wouldn't say it was difficult to accept. Um, but it was difficult to train my mind to think like that because I'm not that right. I wasn't my customer, but it wasn't difficult to accept because once you talk to fifty customers, you realize that even though you want to sell to someone else, this is who's buying, and so I respect the customer and the paying customer more than anything else in the world. Mm. Yeah. So going into 2019, which was the year that you raised your first funding round, um, how at that point you must have been pretty confident that this is going to be successful. The degree of success you weren't sure about, but 50 orders per day was probably a very good a good sign, right? It Reassuring. Was, it was nice. It was okay. Um, I think when we started feeling this is going to be really big was as we were raising the capital. Because as we were raising the capital, we had two months of 50% growth month on month as well from the time we started due diligence to the time we took the money in. So I think from that perspective, um, mid-2019 is when we started believing, okay, now we really have something. It's not just a figment of our imagination. It's really something. We saw team expanding. We saw always short staff. We always need people. Like all of these things happening back to back. It was amazing. That's so exciting. Were you profitable by by the time that you guys raised? We weren't funds? profitable. No, we weren't profitable. Uh, but we were growing very, very, very rapidly. I remember after we raised funding, we went on a family vacation um, to France. The rest of the family, we didn't even enjoy that vacation. We were on our laptop like six hours of the day, um, just wired all the time. I remember we flew via Dubai um, to to France and my wife and I went five, six days after the family because we just couldn't take off or take so much time off. I remember being in that hotel in Dubai um, and both of us, we had to, we had a night layover in Dubai so we were staying in this hotel and both of us were working on job descriptions for the 30 people we needed to hire over the next six months. Um, yeah, so it was a crazy feeling. Yeah, so that was $4.6 million um, that you guys raised. What did that do for you? I mean, what what opportunities or what new horizons did that open for Dr. Vedyas? I think it allowed us to take some risks and to spend some money. We were always scared to spend money. But it allowed us to hire a team. It allowed us to double down on what was working in terms of our marketing. It allowed us to create a brand not just technical performance marketing, even a real brand. And so it allowed us to leapfrog. But the critical thing that I wanted to say here was it allowed us to leapfrog when we already knew where we were going and what we would do with the money. So I think that's a big learning for me is once you establish product market fit and you raise money, you actually know exactly what to do with the money. When you don't know what to do with the money, it gets a bit confusing. Sure. But when you raise those funds, that sort of set you down a path, right? Where at a later point, you need to give an exit to your investors, right? Either through an IPO or through an exit, right? You're sort of selling the company off. Did you, were you fully aware of that? Were you conscious of that? And that was sort of a decision that you had already made and sort of accepted? Or was there some, because uh, it's your family, it's it's kind of your family name, right? Dr. Vedya is like, that's, it's been in your family for 150 honestly, years. Honestly, I'll tell you honestly. Yeah. Um, I didn't think so much far. I didn't think so far forward. The reason I didn't think so far forward is I knew it was the best for the business, and that's what the business needed at that time. I didn't know I'd get to five thousand orders a day. I didn't know if I'd get to fifty thousand orders a day. I didn't know if I'd get stagnant at five hundred orders a day. What I knew is for that time and that moment, 
That's what the business needed. And so we trusted our instinct to say, okay, we'll take it from here. Got it. Okay. Because I know there's probably a lot of D2C founders out there that are contemplating that decision right now. You got it. it's, a, it's a very deep one. It's a very personal one. Um, and whether it was taking an investment or taking a business to exit, it was a very, very personal decision that we had to rationalize that was right for us. And a lot of people said you sold your company too early. A lot of people said you sold your company at the perfect time. Um, I don't know what other people say, but I know what was right for me. Sure. That's perfectly fair. So then 2019, you've got $4.6 million. Very exciting. What's the first thing that you guys do with that money? You start hiring people. You start putting out advertisements for your products. like All at the same time. Yeah? Everything all at, all at once? Time. All at the same time. Wow. Remember the first action that we took just before we got the money is also we realized we need more office space. So I had to go and find office space in the same building. That's the first thing I did um, when we raised the capital, but I think all at the same time. Yeah, where where were you guys based at that time? Did we, you have a solid space? So we were based in Bombay. We converted my grandfather's last clinic into an office, which had a small clinic at the entrance, but it was an office. And then we were lucky to get more space on the same floor in the same building. So we kept expanding eventually from one to seven offices on that floor. Oh, okay. And were your warehouses located in the same Correct. vicinity? Okay. Correct. I know you started with a relatively small warehousing it space, It was a server right? room. <laughs> it was a server room, but we didn't have servers, so we used it as a warehouse. Okay. Wow. So just putting all the products yeah. in there. 50 square feet. Yeah. And you were getting... So the, the way that this would work is that the factory would make the products, the existing factory that your grandfather had Send built. Send it in. to Bombay in boxes. Yeah. Unload them, put them in the warehouse, and then dispatch them from there. Okay. And was it, they were making these products as needed? Like as you got an order, the factory would make the product or? We would place an order with the factory and okay. we forecast how much we'd need. And this factory was making products, not just for you guys, but for other people At as well? At the time, just for us. Eventually, they made for other guys as well because we had a contract manufacturing vert vertical in the business. Okay. Got it. You couldn't have predicted, though, that in 2020, the pandemic was going to hit, right? That was a pretty big deal. Um, what did that mean for your company? For me, actually, initially, I was really annoyed. I was like, just when I started hitting growth and market fit and stuff like that, um, I, I'm facing this issue? Like, what the hell is going on, right? And um, yeah, I think it was beautiful um, to see what happened after that, right? Because demand surged. Um, mentally, physically, emotionally, it was really tough to run a business during that time. But purely from business sense, we got a huge bump in sales. We ran the warehouse ourselves. I was packing orders myself. We were nimble enough to launch seven products in the first two or three months. Um, and from there, it was a, an amazing, amazing ride. We grew seven times that year of COVID. We became the brand of relevance. We were open almost all through except 10 days. Um, and consumers loved this, loved that we did this for them. Sure. And they responded with orders and more. But being in the office, right, uh, I have to assume that, were there some people in your company that were work from home? Like what most, was the- Most, there were five or six of us in the office. In the warehouse, actually, we weren't even in the office. We were in the warehouse. And I remember I used to work half day in the warehouse and then half day, I would open one of our smaller offices, our customer service office, because our bigger office where I used to sit was too big and we didn't want to open it. So- I would be the only one sitting in the customer service office doing emails, calls, all that kind of stuff. And I was adjacent to the warehouse, so it was close enough that I could pop in if I needed. Yeah. And I think you've talked about this before, but you did end up having to pop in quite regularly. Yeah, because yeah, absolutely. shipments would come from the factory, right, in these trucks. And we'd have to unload them and, and we'd have to take them out of the box and then put them in the elevator, take them up to the sixth floor. For some reason, our warehouse was on the sixth floor. 
and we couldn't find space on the ground floor. But I think all of this was amazing learning on the power of resilience and the power of the human mind to get it done even in the most fear. Totally. Yeah. So 2020 is also an interesting year, not just because of COVID, but I think also because I believe you started thinking about a potential exit, right? Yeah, we got the offer towards the early part of December 2020. Um, and I think when we got the offer, we were totally not thinking about this. But then when we got it and we spent time on it and we rationalized and we thought, is this the right thing for the business? Is the right thing for us? And for both of those, eventually, after a lot of deliberation, it came to yes. Is the right thing for the business? Yes, because the future of this business will be offline. And here, all of you know how I feel miserably offline, right? And then for us as people, I think we had also reached a phase where we said, hey, we've done our time. The future growth of this business may not include us. It's a very personal decision. You may have taken the opposite decision. But for us at that time, it just seemed like the right thing. Sure. So you're 29 years old. You've been building this company for four and a half years. And I'm curious to know, I know I know that it, it's, it is definitely like a personal decision and there's really, I don't think it's anyone's place to judge whether or not yeah. it was the right time. But I'm curious to know what were the variables that you factored into that decision? What were the things, I know you said sort of it would have gone in the offline direction, which you weren't maybe super- Where is the business going from here? And am I the right suited person to run this business? Right. And to run this business, I always saw the right side, right person. But where is the business going from here? What are the skill sets required in the senior team, the management, the CEOs, et cetera, of the business? I didn't have those skills. Yeah. So it's over. You walk away. You leave the office December 27th of 2020. It's like you're walking out of the office. Well, I, I did handle over the business for another four months. Um, but that trip I took straight after handing over the business in whatever way, shape, or form. Um, and we went to Gang Talk to Sikkim for New Year for the New Year. I've never felt that chill in life. Ever. It's like a huge burden was lifted off me. Huge burden. Yeah. And presumably, I mean, the the how much you walked away with at the end of that exit isn't a public number. Um, but presumably but enough, but yeah. enough yeah, enough that you could have, you know, you could have just retired at that point. I don't know, gone and played golf or squash or whatever you want to do, travel the world, go back to the U.S. if you wanted to, right? Um, so how long did that pause, that sort of moment of peace, how long did that last before you started feeling like, you know what, I think I want to I go think back? I think I would say we officially sort of moved on in April 2021. Last for three months, that's about it. Okay. What did you, what did you, if you don't mind me asking, like, what did you guys do? You and Trisha? In those three months, we would help founders. We would angel invest. We created a program to teach D2C e-commerce. We would sort of create cohorts for that. Um, I spent time in my fitness, which was nice. We moved to our beach house outside of Bombay in Alibag. Spent two, two and a half months working from there. Uh, but it was really interesting because it was a time when, like, you don't know what you're going to do in the whole day or like you don't know what you're going to do next week for sure, right? Because it's on your time and it's what you can do. It's empowering and scary. Exactly, yeah. I was going to say, it must have felt a little bit like you're floating in space, right? Yeah. And you can kind of go in any direction that you want. Yeah. You're off the track of entrepreneurship now uh, or running the business that you were. That would have been scary. Very scary. How do you how do you make the right decision in that moment? You've you've probably I'm guessing you got 
DMs. There was emails from people. Hey, I heard that you exited Dr. Vedya's. Like, why don't you lots come? Lots of different kinds of opportunity. Yeah, evaluated what, a bunch of them. What came your way? Bring um, global brands to India um, to work as a junior partner in MD at VC funds. Uh, but none of those were clicking for me, and so I kept patient. And three months later, I found something that really worked. Yeah. How did that? How did that happen? Very randomly through a LinkedIn DM. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I just had a conversation. And I was speaking to Arjun Anand, who leads the private equity business for Vol Invest in India, and he said, "Hey, like we're looking for an ex-founder to come and run our venture business. We're looking for someone who really cares for founders, who's been there, done that. You fit the bill. Are you open to doing this with us?" Um, and I said, "Yeah, I'm happy to consider it." And he said, "Okay, let's get to know each other because we don't know each other, um, and then take it from there." So Verl Invest, this is a Belgium-based VC firm, um, which I believe already had a sizable presence in India, but hadn't really dipped their toes too much into early stage investing Correct. Um, in consumer brands, which of course is your area of expertise. Um, it seems like it was a, I mean, it was a perfect fit, right? You have all this experience with D2C. You also have your experience prior to that in in private equity. Right, so you've got this sort of hybrid approach or perspective that maybe someone who had just started in D to C only and was like a you know one-time startup founder might not have. Um, but you had to kind of build this early stage focus from scratch. Absolutely, right? yeah. What was that like going from startup founder to sort of VC entrepreneur? It was different but similar. I think uh, what excited me was to build it from scratch, but there was lots of learning, a very steep learning curve, right? Understanding the economics of a venture business, understanding what it is to be an investor, understanding how to build a portfolio, understanding that sometimes you got to step aside and say, "I'm not running this business; someone else is. I'm just enabling this business." Right? But from that, I think I had a few advantages as well. Right? Number one, I'm founder. I have the empathy. I've been through the same problems. I can ask the right questions. Um, and so I think it's a beautiful journey of learning something new that excited me because I was building it. Uh, but still, being in a world um, where I'd been before, which was of building, right? So, I think it's been great fun. Um, I've been able to make some exciting investments, both as an angel investor and as a VC fund manager. Now, my job is to constantly meet amazing entrepreneurs who are all full of energy, who are hustling, who are fighting, who are making things happen. And I would say it's one of the most intellectually stimulating jobs anyone can ever have, uh, because you just get to meet ambitious, amazing people on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I didn't meet you while you were building Dr. Vedya, so I don't, I can't attest to your sort of mental state or how you were doing at that time. But I would imagine that this sort of new position would be all of the best things about building and being an entrepreneur without any of those like really high stress, high pressure moments that make you feel like completely exhausted. Look, when you come over that high stress, though, it's a different high. Uh, but yeah, I think you've got a fair assessment. It's some amount of building, but you can sleep at night a little bit. Uh, having said that, I think it's very tough to compare the two because the rush, the excitement, the lack of sleep, the thrill of building as an entrepreneur is very different. Sure, definitely. You were mentioning some of your uh, investments, talking to founders and that being exciting for you. What are some of your most exciting, uh, either prospective portfolio companies and founders or even people that 
the firm has now invested in. V3 is the name of this yeah, early yeah. stage initiative. So I just actually came from the board meeting of a company we invested in called Cuckoo FM. It's a very exciting company. It's a vernacular podcast platform, India's largest in local languages, Hindi, Marathi, Tamil, Telugu, Malayalam, Kannada, Bengali, Gujarati. They have 2.7 million paid subscribers paying for this kind of content. People said Indians don't pay for content, but they've been able to find a niche. Um, interesting story there was, I used to host a podcast on Cuckoo FM for Dr. Vegas. That's how I came across the company. We invested in a very, very cool full-stack health business called Eka Care, building on the government health stack, ABDM, um, patient health record management, now medicine delivery, eventually more and more services to bring, bring your health onto one platform. Um, and it's a very new age solution because that's where the government is moving the country to as well. We're making two more investments, one consumer brand and one in the technology space. And I think 2023 will be an exciting year for us as well. Other than this, obviously, I have more than 80 angel investments now. Um, and I would say my area of focus and investment would be the entire consumer landscape, not just D2C. So it's D2C, consumer technology, enablement to commerce, and then eventually platforms. Um, that's my focus. I love anything consumer-facing. I think India is a brand-starved nation. Lots of brands and businesses will be built catering to consumers, both digitally and physically. I'm at the cusp and the inflection point of this happening and a very exciting time in the brand development journey in India. Being around startup founders so much, do you ever feel that that itch to start a second startup? Or Sometimes. Sometimes? Sometimes I do. Uh, do you think that's something that could be on the horizon for you someday? I, my wife is going to start up very soon. Oh, okay. Um, first time announcing this on a public platform, uh, but she's already started the ideation process, so she'll be the one starting. And uh, yeah, I think it's just so exciting. But... Being a VC, it's also so cool that you get to see so many different things, right? As an entrepreneur, I was a horse with blinders. So I think there's advantages of being in this role as well. Where do you see the consumer brand landscape going in India? Because we've seen this big wave, right, of D to C. Um, and personally, I've been in the country to see the whole thing happen. Yeah. Right? So it's been very cool. Look, I, I'm biased. I'm very patriotic. I believe in... I'm long on India, as someone said the other day. Um I'll talk about our country first and then the consumer brands landscape or the consumer products landscape. We are a large domestic consumption economy with one of the largest young middle classes in the world. We are a population that aspires. We are a population that has access to the world. Everything is free in our country. Global brands can come here. Our brands can go global. And so in this economy and in the world that we live in today, everybody is looking to India as the next growth opportunity, right? If you think about consumer brands, we don't have enough in our country. As this middle-class population of 600, 700 million Indians, think about that number, 600, 700 million middle-class, happy-to-consume, excited-to-consume population starts trading up, that opportunity is absolutely immense, both in the offline and in the online space. Um, I think you're going to see a decade like we've never seen before. It's not going to be easy because India is a big country and so there's always lots of competition. But the ones who execute right will be able to do 10x of what I was able to do from 2016 to 2020. 
That was Arjun Vedya, founder of Dr. Vedya's. And while his work as an investor with V3 is keeping him pretty busy, there's also something in his life now which is occupying quite a bit of his time and attention. I'm a hard worker instead of a smart worker. And so I would always learn working 16 hours a day. So now that I've had a kid two months ago, I got to change that. Oh, I, wow. That's amazing. Congratulations. Wow. That's that's amazing. That's like, <laughs> that's a huge chapter life in your changing, life. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for watching or listening to the show this week. And I'll catch you in the next one.